0: You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Of all of the books in the New Testament, The epistle of James is the most Jewish in character. In some sense, it isn't an epistle, a letter, not in the manner of Paul's epistles, which were written to specific communities facing very particular circumstances and raising very particular questions. No, James isn't like that, in spite of its opening greeting where he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. In spite of that opening greeting, the rest of the epistle has more the shape of the, the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament and related wisdom writings such as Sirach from the Apocrypha. There's really nothing in today's reading that couldn't have found its way into the book of Proverbs. While James's statement that, quote, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained by the world, that picks up a theme that courses right through the Hebrew scriptures, namely the care of orphan and widow, That phrase, orphan and widow, signifies the vulnerable, powerless, statusless. And in the Hebrew scriptures, such people must not be forgotten or forsaken. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves, James writes, which is echoed a bit further into his epistle in his bold statement that faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And that statement convinced Martin Luther that James was an epistle of straw. As Luther thought that the whole epistle was focused on justification by works rather than by grace. Well, with all due respect to that great Reformation theologian, I beg to differ. What James insists is that people who claim to be followers of Jesus must enact that in their lives. They must do the faith, not just believe it theoretically or abstractly. Major concern here is for the poor in the community, including those aforementioned widows and orphans. But it also applies in this epistles to things like gossip. It's a significant concern for James. And conflict in the community. So do the word, James challenges, so that together you reflect that word. But what word is he referring to? The only established scriptures the early Christians had at hand were the Hebrew scriptures, which they would have read in light of the stories of Jesus that were circulating in the form of the earlier Gospels, as well as through the lens provided by Paul in his epistles. They would not have been carrying around printed copies of what we call the Bible, for such a thing didn't yet exist. The word then was more fluid, with the Hebrew scriptures engaged in rabbinical fashion, improvisational and dynamic constantly drilling down to questions of how one is meant to live in the real world. The second century rabbi, Simon ben Gamaliel II, wrote, Not the expounding of the law is the chief thing, but the doing of it. Of course, Jesus himself says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it, do it. While Paul, the great apostle of grace, spends most of his energy in his epistles to the Corinthians focused on how people should live and behave in light of being a people justified by grace, the difference between those ancient Christian communities and their Jewish forebears was that doing the word always involved an engagement with the life And person of Jesus as the main interpretive framework. Now our gospel reading this evening actually takes on a conflict between Jesus and some scribes and Pharisees who represent a very particular school of thought regarding how day-to-day life is to be lived by Jewish believers. They've come from Jerusalem to see Jesus presumably curious about what this Galilean peasant rabbi is teaching. Mark says that they noticed that some of Jesus' disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. To which he then adds some details around the cleansing rituals observed in what he calls the tradition of the elders. And so the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Here, Matt Skinner notes, No Old Testament text calls for anyone to wash hands before eating. But by Jesus' day, certain practice had arisen among some Jews. Such practices would be scrupulously codified in the following two centuries, becoming required and normative for all Jews, but at this point in Jesus' time there is wide variation, with the Pharisees standing as strong proponents of all the ritual cleansing practices. It would seem that some of Jesus' disciples, that's how Mark describes it, some of them were eating without first washing their hands. Regardless of what we've learned about hand-washing and COVID, because I couldn't help but think of that, I have to say, some were eating without first washing their hands, suggesting that others in Jesus' group had indeed opted to follow the practices advocated by the Pharisees. Perhaps Jesus himself because they don't go at him and say, Jesus, why didn't you wash your hands? Whatever the case, Jesus comes right back at them. He cites the prophet Isaiah, and he does so to denounce their ritual piety as being hollow and hypocritical. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. The human precepts in question are these ritual washing practices, which the Pharisees are now elevating to a place equivalent to the Torah all the while hair-splitting other commandments in a way that allows them to sidestep the Torah's deeper call to justice and equity for all. This is a theme that will surface numerous times in the Gospels. As Jesus critiques a religiosity he considers profoundly hypocritical, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' he rails in the Gospel according to Matthew." For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. It's an interesting last sentence. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. It is these justice, mercy, faith. You ought to have practiced, but without neglecting the tithe, because the tithe was one of the ways in which produce was shared. Jesus is not dismissing the Torah outright, but is rather trying to drill down to the heart of its meaning. He is, in good rabbinical fashion, able to engage it improvisationally and dynamically. But it does sound as if Jesus is setting aside the Pharisees' purity rituals and even the dietary laws of the Hebrew Scriptures. And what he says next, And he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But The things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All of these evil things come from within. They defile a person. So is Jesus just dumping the old laws and traditions to make a point here? Or is there more to this than meets the eye? And here N.T. Wright comments that What we find is Jesus' strong sense of what time it is. It's time for the kingdom of God to break in. And when that happens, laws which had a strong point as part of God's preparation are no longer needed. The strong point of the old dietary and purity laws was to represent what Bishop Wright calls God's longing that God's people be holy through and through. And in Jesus, that was now coming to be in a whole new way. The kingdom of God was in their midst now, and it was given for all, not just for Israel. The first step in being a part of that new reign of God was to sort out what was hidden deep in our human hearts that caused, caused all manner of evil and brokenness, to tell the truth about the shape of our lives in all of our wounds and our fears and our sins, and to do that plainly to the very throne of God. And then, as James would have it, do the word. Enact act the faith. Practice justice, mercy, and faith. Care for the widow and orphan or their equivalent in our own city. Support the Afghani refugee. Send a donation to our sister church in Haiti. Pay a visit to someone you know is lonely. Pray for a friend who's sick or struggling. Vote your conscience, not your bank account. Support an artist. Sing that hymn a little more robustly. Smile and say hello to that grumpy neighbor next door and do it like you really mean it. Make a meal for someone who lives alone. The possibilities are endless of how we do the faith, how we take care of the widow and orphan and keep ourselves in the Jesus path. Do it. Do it all in the strong and merciful name of Jesus, who is our strength and our song. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.